Welcome back to the Prolific Not Perfect podcast with me, Nicole Bremner. And this is the podcast where together with my guests, I share with you ideas on how to be prolific and not perfect and how to build that life full of passion and fulfillment that you've always wanted. I'm so glad you can join us. Please do check out my other podcasts around the topics of investing, entrepreneurship, property, and many other topics, which can all be found at nicolebremner.com. Thank you so much to Carl Hutchings for joining me today for today's podcast recording. And Carl is an ex-pro footballer and a restaurateur, nightclub owner, and now property investor developer who's got a really interesting story. And I especially want him to share his story about how he got into football because that is, it's a tearjerker, just warning you. (laughs) But thank you very much, Carl, for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Nicole. Thank you. And we've done a series of panels together, which has been uh, very, very interesting with uh, some other pro sportsmen. And, And one of the key things that we've been talking about is how 64% of pro footballers actually end up bankrupt after football and you're actually one of the lucky ones who uh, is not bankrupt you're yeah. you're solvent yeah, <laughs> and I'm, doing quite well I'm, 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 I'm avoided it a couple of times i've come close <laughs> through silly business mistakes and stuff like that but um no certainly uh it's a big problem i think um with you know professional sports athletes really just not looking forward to how they're going to finish their um, you know what they're going to do after retirement basically and yeah. you were really lucky that you had a good mentor really yeah I mean certainly uh, from a young age you know I had one or two people looking out for me uh, kind of like you know little angels on my shoulder um, you know certainly looking out for me steering me in the right direction giving me words of advice at the right times because otherwise things would have drastically gone the other way so take us back and tell us the story of how you made it into pro football and how your mentor really guided you through that. Okay, so... I've got the tissues ready now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, it, starting back from when I kind of like where I first grew up, that was uh, obviously, um, I, I like to say, you know, people are products of their environment. And certainly, you know, I grew up in a place called West Kent Estate, um, which is now, ironically, um, a gold mine for property. You know, you've got, uh, it's, it's right, it's in the middle of Fulham. Uh, it's right next to Wells Court. It's 10 minutes away from High Street Kensington. Properties now around there, you know, they're knocking down the old council estates and building two bedroom properties that are selling for over a million pounds. Um, but re- rewind 30 years ago, um, 34 years ago, you know, when I moved onto the estate when I was like six, seven years old. And um, it was literally, uh, and a state of just kids everywhere. I can remember like, you know, the first time when I walked out, it was just kids everywhere, families everywhere. Um, and it was literally fend for yourself. Now I grew up with uh, my my three older brothers and my younger sister and just my mum. And, um, you know, literally my mum was going out doing two free cleaning jobs a day just to put food on the table. She must be a tough lady. She's a very tough wow. lady. I mean, and, and when she was coming home, not only was she feeding us, she was feeding all of our friends because our house was just like an open door to the whole estate. So literally, um, you know, all of my friends would be around the house and stuff because she was out most of the time. So, um, you know, we'd do what we want in the house. And, uh, and my brothers, obviously a lot older than me, were just going out literally every day, doing whatever they had to do as well. Um, to really just feed and put put food in their mouths as well as sort of like on the, on the table as well to try and help out. Now, um, 
I think for me, football, becoming a professional football player, people always ask me, how did you become a professional football player? And for me, it was really something that it was, there was no other option. You know, I know people look and in this day and age, it's different because there's lots of different options and stuff like that. But when I was um, growing up, there was just no other option. It was like everybody around, everybody around me was either a drug dealer, um, a gang leader or a really good thief. You know, and that was it. And that includes, you know, my brothers. Um, that includes all of my best friends that I grew up with. Um, I would go as far as saying, you know, from the age of probably six years old to 16, those group of guys that I hang around with at that moment in time, probably, you know, percentage wise, 70% of them have probably spent the last 15 years in jail. Um, That's phenomenal, isn't it? Or, or, or on drugs and have been on drugs for the last 15, 20 years. So, you know, when you look back and I talk about kind of like guiding angels, you know, at certain times in my life, there was just the right bit of advice at the right time. So it's, it's really interesting because my eldest son, who's now 10, he read the biographies of um, Messi, Ronaldo, Rooney, and this really good series of books they, they've written for kids of that age. And after he read them, he turned to me and said, Mum, I'll never be a good footballer because I'm not poor enough. And I, that's really interesting what you say. There were no other options. You either had to be good at football or live a life of crime. Yeah. That's it. Well, I mean, today is a completely different story. So, I'll, I'll, you know, let him listen to this. And, and there's certainly hope now today because um, today's football for young kids is, you know, completely different. But I was looking back into this and, you know, I was born in 1974 and, you know, the first kind of, group of or, 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 or you know black people started coming over from the Caribbean from Africa and stuff like that on on um, on boatloads sort of like in the 50s sort of like, you know 50s and 60s and so therefore I was like the second generation of uh, black people to kind of like you know family wise um, so you know my dad came over from Jamaica and I can imagine back then um, you know an island that and uh, you know, I go, like, I take my wife over to the Caribbean and we go sometimes into the mountains and people come out from everywhere to see that, oh my God, you know, we've never seen a white person before. It's like literally <laughs> going up and touching her skin. And this is today in, 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 in today, you know. So going back to 1974 or even before that, you know, and all of a sudden there's an influx of, of, of you know, black people and we were kind of like all congregated in the same area. Um, you know, we were just trying to make our way at that time, like second generation. Today, even today, people are just still trying to make their way. But all the way back then, it must have been incredible for like my parents to have to try and make their way. Oh, absolutely. We we don't know how good we have it though, and I think this is my son's point that yeah. we just have it so good. But that's why we work so hard, isn't it? And we'll come back on to that later when we talk about your family now. But um, but back then, you had these two choices, either play football and get really good at it and imagine you were really tough growing up on an estate with what four older brothers did yeah, you say? Three, three older brothers three older yeah. brothers oh my goodness you must have been tough so you you obviously chose football or football chose you yeah so just talk us through how that happened yeah so basically we had one football pitch in this estate and i'm not you know there must have been 200 kids <laughs> would be chasing one ball at any one time in this estate in, in this football pitch so Literally, if you wanted to touch that ball, you had to get on that ball and run through trying to get 20 people kicking you at any one time. So, um, 
you know, that's where today I think children miss out because I was, you know, that's that was my apprenticeship. That was everything. And not only that, if someone did fail you or was kicking the life out of you, you know, you'd end up every day, they'd end up a, a fight in the football pitch, which I look back and I think that's what made me the person I am today. That's what helps me achieve the goals that I achieved today. Um, but it was like in that in that moment, you know, if you got tackled or someone vowed you really badly, that your first instinct was to turn around and just start fighting. <laughs> because if you didn't, that's what that was what was going to happen anyway. And then it would go on for a couple of minutes. Everyone would break it up and then the ball's back out again and then everyone's chasing the ball again. So, you know, that was kind of like my experience as a kid from literally, you know, eight, nine years old, right the way up until probably 13, 14. Um, and what happened was I was playing football every day in this football pitch and uh, one, there was a, a team on the pitch and it was called Faxton. And I never forget, I used to go there every day just wishing that one day I could play for this team and you know they had their it was only a five-a-side team so you imagine 200 kids all wanting to be in this five-a-side team and they'd pick the five best players and all of the players were like my friends at the time and everyone just looked on me like oh no he's no good you know he's no good and every day I was just trying to prove myself in the football pitch just trying to be like you know show people that I could play football and then one day I can remember it was that they used to play on a Sunday morning at Lily Rec and many great players have come from Lily Rec in Fulham, um, that five-a-side uh, competition that used to play. And uh, one day they were, they, they were a player down and it, it was a goalkeeper was, wasn't there. And I just put my hand up and said, I'll play in goal. I'll do it, I'll do it. Anything just to get in that team. And that's what I'd done. So I played in goal. I never really played in goal before until, unless my brothers had shoved me in goal. Whenever we were playing football together, I was the youngest one always goes in goal. So I was used to diving around, saving their hard shots. But for a season, I just played in goal. And I was fantastic in goal and everyone thought I was a goalkeeper. But the following season came and, um, you know, automatically I've been picked to play in goal. And I went and saw the manager and I was only like 10 years old or whatever. I said, I'm not playing unless I play on pitch. But he said, you can't play on pitch. You know, you're a goalkeeper. And um, it was at that time I said, oh, put me out on pitch and let me show you. And um, I had the opportunity to go out on pitch during the training session and I just got the ball and there was no way I was going to let that opportunity go. I just took everyone on, was scoring. I must have scored about 10 goals in that training session. And that was it. I was an outfield player from then on. Yeah, <laughs> and you must have been a tough one too. I go back to you being tough, but goalies have to throw themselves around, don't they? With balls and boots heading towards their heads. Yeah, so you... I mean, I grew up, I would say, you know, in my part of um, South West London, you know, um, I grew up in what I would call probably the toughest estate um, in that area for sure you know literally every day there was a fight going on there was people getting robbed the police would not come into the estate they would literally let you know the guys in that estate um uh kind of police themselves then i also went to definitely the toughest school in west london so i had to you know literally and i had three older brothers who were all really renowned on the estate for being tough guys so there was little me, you know, walking along and every day it would be like I'd either get into, I'd be getting into trouble because of my older brothers and, you know, people knew um, our kind of like family name or um, I'd get to school. Lucky enough, my three older brothers had gone before me, so everyone kind of left me alone. <laughs> but, you know, it was just constant. You was constantly looking over your shoulder thinking, right, OK, at any moment in time, something can happen. And then you had a lucky break, didn't you? I did. So basically what happened was um, whilst playing for Faxton, um, I was playing on a Sunday and, you know, been probably, I was probably about 11 by now, 11, 12. 
And um, all around me, I'd heard about some players were going off to play for different teams. So like, you know, West Ham or Chelsea or Fulham. And I was thinking, well, you know, what's all this about? Because I didn't really understand professional football. I think we only had um, football back then. I think uh, only Liverpool was being played on TV. So we'd watch watch one game every Sunday. I think that was about it. And so, you didn't have a father figure in your life. I know. I, I don't. I've, ne- I've never met my you. father. Um, well, actually, I've met him once um, as, a, as, a, as a young kid. Um, but other than that, I've not had no relationship with him. So, kind of, you know, going through um, playing football on a Sunday was really done off of my own back. My mum used to come, sort of like she'd get involved and clean all the boots and wash all the kit and stuff like that. You know, she'd go out working and then on a Sunday she couldn't wait. She'd be dragging me out of bed to go watch me play football. Um, and then one day, uh, this guy, and uh, you know, I'll never forget his name is uh, Peter Benfield, and uh, he died recently. But he came up to me after on a Sunday and he came over to me and he said, You're a really good player, I want to take you down to Chelsea. And I thought to myself, What's he talking about? Like, you know, I'm a, who, who am I to kind of like go down to Chelsea? And he said, Meet me. It was a tr- Tuesday evening, it was about six o'clock. He said, You have to meet me at the gates at six o'clock. And I really, I thought to myself, okay, well, I'll go down, you know, I'll see what, see what happens. And my, my, where I lived was probably about 15, 20 minute walk to Stamford Bridge. And um, I came out of my house, I remember walking down North End Road and I was shaking all the way, thinking this ain't right, something's not right. And I got there to the gate where he said, and it was about five to six. And I could see all these cars with kids in the back driving in. And I, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? And it, about five past six, I remember turning around and just about to walk back out the gate and walk down North End Road thinking, now, nah, I'm, I'm, you know, this ain't right. And Peter Benfield just drove in at that moment in time I was leaving. He said, where do you think you're going? I said, uh, I've been waiting here for ages. He said, get in the car. And I got in the car. He drove me into the gates, uh, took me down to training. And from that day on, I was at Chelsea for nearly five years, training three days a week, training with the older players, you know, I was captain, um, or I worked my way up to be captain of the youth team. And um, yeah, it was just amazing. Now I'm actually tearing up, Carl, because I know what happens next. <laughs> and I can't imagine this happening to one of my sons. So yeah, tell us what happened next. <laughs> okay, so I'm at Chelsea for about five years. Um, I get to 15, turning 16. And at that time, like I said, you know, school, um, I was kind of, I was dyslexic at school. So I never really got on with school. Um, I never read my first book till I was sort of like 17, 18. And, um, you know, I, I was quite, well, uh, you know, I wasn't very, uh, I wouldn't never be talking in public and stuff like that. So by the time I got to 14, 15, the school couldn't wait to get rid of me, basically. So we kind of come to an agreement, like the less lessons I come to, <laughs> they won't complain, yeah. basically. Um, so I was, you know, doing doing other stuff when I should be at school. And my main goal at this time was, football that's all like you know if, if I would I would be in ball boy um as a kid to these professional players I was surrounded by 30,000 people chanting the names of these players on the pitch and I was just thinking I just wanted to be that player I just want to be that person this is going to change my whole life and up until sort of like 15 I felt I was doing everything right the coaches were always calling me in saying you know you're doing fantastic I was captain and um 
at 15, 16, you get chosen. That's when you get your, your, your main contract, i.e. as an apprentice or YTS, as it would be today. And um, I remember sort of like we was all lining up, a couple of us lining up outside the manager's door. And I'm thinking, you know, this has got to be in the bag. I've not stopped. I've never missed a training session in X amount of years. I've been captain. You know, the, every week they're calling me in, telling me how well I'm doing. And um, my best mate was with me as well. And we both started roughly around the same time. He went into the changing room, rubbing his hands, came out. Yes, you know, he got his contract, two-year contract. And I'm thinking, well, you know, me and him have done everything together. So I'm going into the change room. I sit down and the manager's sort of like telling me how well I've been doing. And I'm just thinking, OK, this is great. And then he turns around, he says, but. And, um, you know, whenever there's a but, all of a sudden it's like, oh. And um, he, he turns around, he says, well, the only problem we've got is that we've got two players who play in your position um, that we're going to bring in from Scotland. And this is the first time that I realised, like, football was a worldwide game you know and this was this was um you know until this point we'd only ever been up against the local boys you know local kids um but at this age this is when it gets serious so now all of a sudden they brought these players in from scotland and they both played in my position so the manager was basically sitting there saying look carl you know you've been fantastic we love everything that you've done but these two other players are better than you or we feel they're better than you and they both play in your position so um you know we haven't got a space for you that's a massive blow, isn't it? At 16. Yeah, I mean, 15, 16, yeah. yeah, at that age where you're just, you know, you're so focused, that's your only hope, you know, because I'm seeing all of my friends around me on the estate every day getting arrested, um, you know, doing crime, just literally, you know, not going to school and just doing things during the day that they shouldn't be. And for me, the one thing that kept me on the straight and narrow that stopped me from hanging around with those guys um, was my training, going into training. You know, I'd walk past them, I'd wave them goodbye and get get myself into training. And um, at that point, all of a sudden, you just feel like, wow, you know, what have I got? Everything's Your identity has just completely been taken from you. Yeah. And so things didn't go so well for you after that, did they? So after that, um, my options, well, I didn't have any more options. Basically, I didn't have... Um, I didn't know anything about getting yourself into another football team. All I'd ever done is turn up at Chelsea and sort of like, you know, they'd, they'd turned up and done whatever I had to do, played the games that I had to play. Um, I didn't have anyone else around me who, who played football. No one around me um, was in other clubs. Uh, so really, you know, I went back home and the first thing I'd done, instead of going up to training three days a week, I'd go out of my house and straight away I'm, I'm with my, my, my friends or, or, or what you call, I suppose, today the gang, yeah. you know? Um, so that was it. Straight away, I'm all of a sudden three days a week, whereas before I was training, now all of a sudden I'm hanging out with, with, with on the estate. Yeah, so um, then what happened? And how long were you hanging out with the gang and, and how did you then turn okay. things around? So basically what happened was I was hanging out every day before i know it um you know i'm going with guys we're stealing mopeds we're doing you know doing things that we shouldn't be doing basically trying to make some money and this went on and on for probably about six months survival, really, yeah 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 literally this was everything that we could do just to make money because we're living on a state no one's got jobs no one's working no one's doing anything um you know and that's parents as well you know in the sense of they're just trying to literally i think the best job on the estate was probably a cleaner you know um so, yeah, we were just literally doing whatever we could do um, to make some money. But in the back of my mind, I always knew that it wasn't right. It was like, you know, Carl, 
you shouldn't be hanging out with these guys. You know, these guys aren't, this isn't you. And everyone around me, my, especially my older brothers, had always said to me, you know, where we do whatever we do so you don't have to do it, you know? And, um, and I would, at that moment in time, I was lucky enough that I had this uh, mentor. I called him a mentor, best friend. He was a, lot, he was a bit older than me, um, but he was a youth leader on the estate. And basically, um, he could see me hanging out with the, these guys and, you know, starting to get myself into trouble. And he came up to me one day and he said, look, Cole, you know, this isn't you. You know, you, you've avoided this for five years. Um, you know, you don't need to be doing this. This, or not, not that I was doing anything really bad, but I was just hanging out with guys who were it's starting to do slope, things bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so all of a sudden, you know, because I'm in there, I'm uh, again. You know, your environment is everything. And because I'm around these guys, your network basically today, that was my network back then. So whatever they were doing, I was being attached to it. And um, very quickly, like you said, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, Carl, hide this. Can you hide this in your house and stuff like that? And you're like, you know they're your mate so it's like you can't say no to them um but this 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 guy named tony and he's just you know he just drilled it into me carl come on you're better than this you don't need to be doing this stuff you've got to keep your football up but i didn't know where to turn i didn't know what to do and we had this conversation one day i said but i don't know any any other clubs i don't know what to what i should be doing and um and then all of a sudden he came up to me and he said look carl you know uh, i've spoke to a couple of people and we can get you a trial at brentford and I was like, okay, Brentford, who are they? Sort of thing, you know. <laughs> they were stuck in between sort of like Queen's Park Rangers and Fulham and, and but it was an opportunity, you know, and uh, they trained in Shepherd Bush at the time in Bromyard Avenue, a place called Bromyard Avenue, which was miles away from me in, in yeah, from, from where I was. Than Brent, <laughs> in Essex, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So not Brentwood, Brentford. Yeah, Brentwood, yeah. Brentford, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> um, but again, you know, an opportunity is an opportunity and, and at that time again I was just just focused on just give me anything, I'll do it. So uh, lucky enough, you know, we got that opportunity. Tony encouraged me to get down there. I went in and literally within three training sessions, they'd offered me, you know, a two year contract um, to sign as a YTS on the condition. This was one of the um, things as well, because at that time I was in a bit of trouble with the police and uh, and my manager for Brentford. And this is someone that literally he'd known me a month, you know, if that and he had to meet with the police officers uh, um, uh, with, at, at the courts, basically, have a private meeting um, and say that he would put me up in his house. I'd have to move out of my estate. I wasn't allowed back into my estate um, for a certain period of time. And, um, and I'd have to literally live with him for a period of time. And if, that, if they all agreed that, then you know, otherwise I was in trouble, a lot of trouble with uh, with these other guys that were literally, you know, in trouble as well. And again, this is someone who only knew me for a month. He didn't, you know, he didn't have to, do he that. didn't have to do anything for me. He didn't owe me anything, mm -hmm. you know, but he believed in me so much. He, he just said, yep, yeah, no problem. You know, and that, and again, it's just times like that when you just think, wow, there was angels looking over yeah, me at that moment true. in time, because if he didn't do that, literally, you know. Yeah, he I saw. Will. He clearly saw something in you and wanted to to help you. What yeah, incredible man to do that. And so he did put you up then. And you so he put me up in his house. I went. I moved into his house, and this is my manager. So yeah. literally, I'm training every day, and then I'm going back to his house. And I think it lasted about two months. And I think he had enough of me. <laughs> but he found what he, he found one of the other boys who I was good friends with. Um, he lived with his nan and granddad. So. Uh, 
after a little while, I moved into his nan and granddad's, which was much better for, yeah, sure. for, for both Everyone. of us, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> and, um, and again, you know, I had a fantastic time, met fantastic friends. But from that period onwards, that set the period for a 13-year career in football. Yeah. yeah. And it also helped you start into property. Yeah. So uh, how did you get started in property? So basically, um, my property journey again was I started, uh, I was playing every week, week in and week out, training really hard. Um, totally dedicated. I, would off, I was off the estate. I wasn't going back there at all. And I was just 100% focused on, on becoming a professional football player. And at uh, 17, so I'd been there a year, I started travelling with the first team, which was unheard of back then. Um, and then all of a sudden, then they offered me a professional contract on, I think the first contract I signed was £150 a week. Wow, yeah. yeah. So I after tax... So much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> after tax, I was lucky to take home 100 quid, And... Um, the thing was, it was so funny because everybody thought I was on like a thousand bucks. Because all of a sudden, I'm, I'm I'm on match of the day in the evening or whatever TV it was showing, and I'd be jumping on the celebrations. I always remember whenever wherever I played, normally it was in defence. When in my, in my early age, in my early days, just whenever there's a goal, make it to the celebrations. That was in my head because <laughs> then you get yourself on TV. Get yeah, yeah, that's it. So when my mum still lived in the estate, so whenever I went back to the estate, I was like, I hear her, I saw you on TV, I saw you on TV. I'm like 17, 18 years old. But all of the guys automatically, they see you on TV, they think you're earning thousands and thousands of pounds. So my same mentor, who's still on the estate because he's a youth leader, so he's still working with all the other kids, um, he comes up to me and he says, look, Carl, you know, we need to get you invested. You can't be spending all your money doing like, you know, just going out and, 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 and I'm, I'm thinking like, I haven't got any money. What are you talking about? You know, just literally about got enough money to get my bus fare into, into, into work every day. And he says, you know, you need to invest in property. And at the time I'm thinking, are you crazy? I'm like, you know, I, 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 beautiful council house right here. You know, this is, this is the place. <laughs> the dream. You know? This is it. I'm living it. Bus fare and a yeah, house, yeah. council flat. <laughs> That's it. Um, so he said, no, 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 you don't understand. You can own your own property. And literally, he, I didn't, I didn't know anything to do with property, but he just literally said, look, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to find your property. Um, you know, you can rent it out. You can make money. And he literally just sat me down and taught me the whole process in an hour, you know. Um, and this is, you know, we went out. He took me to my first ever restaurant down the King's Road. I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> this is amazing, you know. Um, so, you know, we, we sat down and he was telling me about, and he just opened my eyes up that there could be so much more than just West Kent Estate. Because even in my, even though I was a professional football player, I was still now, now as a professional, I could go back to West Kent now, you know, because I didn't have to live at this person's house. I could do what I wanted. So I could still hang out with my friends knowing that, oh yeah, maybe you can uh, go. But he saw that and he was like, no, 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 no. You know, this is the place you want to be hanging out. So he kind of like introduced me to- Aspirational That's lifestyle. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Taking me outside my comfort zone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he sat down, kind of went through the whole property. This is what a property is, this is how you do it, blah, blah. Introduced me to my first lawyer, introduced me to um, my first estate agent, found my first property up in New Cross in Peckham, uh, between Peckham and New Cross. And uh, I think we bought that for around 58,000 pounds. It was a two bed flat. And at the time I can just remember thinking, wow, going through Peckham, 35 years ago or wherever however long it was 20 years ago 25 years ago 
I thought where I grew up was bad. You know? <laughs> I just remember thinking, get me back to kind of West Kent any day, you know. Um, yeah, I was like, you sure we're going to buy a property here? He said, I, I was thinking, I'm never going to visit this place. I don't want to, you know, that's the last place I want to come on a bus, you know. Um, but he said, no, no, this is it. This is the right place. You'll see, you know, Peckham's up and coming and all that. I was like, yeah, all right, whatever. Um, but about eight months later, so we rented it out straight away. I was making £250 a month over my mortgage basically and that was a 25 percent increase on my wages so you know people today I, I i kind of look and i see you know bus drivers and all these guys and they're fighting for like two percent increase and three percent increase back then 25 percent increase in my wages on a monthly basis that was massive huge impact yeah because now all of a sudden i could think like oh maybe i can pay it buy a car you know, and, and, and stuff like that. So instead of getting the train, I was getting the train and buses um, to work every day. Um, I bought myself a car, you know. It's inconceivable now to think of a pro footballer having to catch the bus and train oh, to yeah. work. It's every such day, a different industry, years. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and to games, you know, after the games, I'd be on the buses with the fans going home. <laughs> you know? Yes. So people would actually look at me thinking like, what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> but... You know, that, that, that's changed. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, I, I, uh, you know, people say, oh, do you wish he was playing now? I'm like, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years too soon. Yeah. Um, but that's how I, I bought my first property. I rented it out. I was getting this £250 a month, every month. And about eight months later, um, I remember just opening up my, my bank account or whatever it was and looking for my wage, um, the rent money to come in. And the rent money never came in. And I was thinking, shit, you know, the... Um, the mortgage is going to go out any minute now. I need this rent money. So I went down to the house, started knocking on the door, thinking, I've got to collect my rent money. And I think it was the only second time I'd ever been to this property because um, I didn't want to go there. It was like, ah. Oh. Um, and then uh, I knocked on the door, no answer, banging on the door, thinking, yeah, I'm getting really frustrated, thinking I need this money. You know, So I put the key in the door. I had my spare key, put it in the door, and I walked in. And um, literally, it, it looked like the place is empty. You know, It was a bit of a bit of a style, bit of a pig style, but clear that they'd packed their bags and they'd gone. So I was panicking, so I called Tony. I was like, what am I going to do? And he said, oh, it's all right, don't worry, you just find someone else. I said, I haven't got that time. If I don't pay them, I can't pay the rent, uh, the mortgage because I just, I weren't making enough money. Um, so I said, I've, I've got to sell it. So we came, uh, I went to see the same estate agents that kind of like uh, rented it out for us. And they said, yeah, no problem, we're selling it, no problem. So about three months went by. You know, they'd, they'd phoned me up, said we, they'd sold it after about two weeks or whatever it was. So I'm thinking, sitting there thinking, OK, just, you know, hold tight. Hold the tight. Yeah, going. yeah, the money's coming, the money's coming. I think I paid, I managed to pay one month yeah. and then two months I didn't pay, thinking the money's going to come in and it will clear it and I'll be all right, you know. And in my head, I was thinking, well, as long as I get like my three or four grand that I actually put into the deal back, then who cares? And I'll be making this money on a monthly basis. And the cheque finally came through and it was for around £28,000. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, they've made a mistake. They've made a mistake. I only put four or five grand into the deal. And um, and I called Tony. I was like, Tony, I think they've made a mistake. And he was like, why? He said, no, they sold the property for like 90,000 or whatever it was. I'm thinking, no way. <laughs> In less than a year, I've literally doubled what I'm making as a professional football player. I'm like, I'm doing this every day, you know? <laughs> and from that day on, I was literally, I was going into training with a suit and tie on on a Monday or a Tuesday afternoon, everyone be looking at me like, we're going down the pub after, what are you doing? I was like, I'm going to the auction. They'd be like, what are you talking about? And I was going to property auctions and I would go and visit an estate agents. I set my first company up, um, Hutch Limited, you know, and I always just, and this was at 20 years old, 
you know, and I was, I was just sort of like on it then, that was it. Yeah, and so over the next few years, over the next 20 years, yeah. uh, what did you do? Did you buy more property? Have you, did yeah. you lose more property? What oh did yeah, you do? so basically what I'd done, I steadily built up a really nice portfolio over the course of 13 years. Basically every, I, I was, every time I got, my, my wages finally went up, you know, so I was getting more money through, my, um, through playing football. So I was investing that as well. I was also buying and selling. I was doing this was in the days that I started doing back to back properties. I was buying three or four at a time and selling them in the afternoon. I just learned all of the tricks. Literally, I was studying and studying. I was going to property seminars, everything. And, um, you know, I, I rode a really nice wave up to sort of like 2007. I built the best part of, I don't know, three, four million pounds worth of property back then. And this is when property were only like 150 grand. So I had a, a lot of property. Um, and then after that, 2007, eight came along. It didn't really affect me because I was buying and renting out everything. Um, but I had a little rest because it was difficult to get mortgages and stuff like that. So I just controlled everything that I'd done. And then I decided to retire um, from professional football because I was making so much money from my property portfolio on a monthly basis that you know, I had, I had, yeah, yeah. I remember the, uh, when I, I went to Carlisle on a Tuesday night on a bus, on a mini, on a, on a coach and, you know, coming back, I think we'd lost two nil or whatever it was. Um, it was a night game. So we didn't finish till 10.30. Carlisle is like the border of Scotland. I got off the bus at about four o'clock in the morning. I just thought, you know what, Carl, you really need this. You know, I just had my two kids and, and, and stuff. They were getting, um, or they were, they were young. And I just thought, you don't, really don't need this anymore. And again, you know, I was just fortunate that I'd built this property portfolio that could, you know, sustain my lifestyle. So I decided at that point to um, to retire, basically. I still had another, I think, six months left on my contract. And I just went in, saw the manager. I said, enough's enough. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, to which point he thought I was absolutely crazy. And um, so did my wife and so did everybody <laughs> else around me. <laughs> But, you know, you make decisions in life that uh, that you think are right for you at the time. So that was one of the first major decisions that I'd ever made, because all of a sudden, you know, you do everything you can to be a professional football player. And then I was quite fit at the time. I was still only 29, 30, so I could have carried on playing for at least another three or four years. But I just knew inside of me it was the right moment in time to, to make that shift. Um, Had you lost the passion, do you think? Is that what it was? Yeah, definitely. I think I love still going into training, but, I, and I love still, you know, that atmosphere of running out onto the pitch, but it was just getting like, the, the motivation just wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And I knew inside of me, like anything that you do, you know, if you're not motivated to do it and it gets harder and harder to get out of bed to kind of like, you know, go and go training and, you know, look forward to games and stuff, it just became kind of monot uh, monotonous. Yeah, exactly. And you, you were really lucky that you had built up this solid, um, a nest egg of properties behind you you could invest and uh, live off that but that's not the case for all footballers is it no definitely not I think um, you know today it's really important that players in general because when I was when I was building property it would property wasn't really for I was just lucky that I was introduced to property I know you hear about you know certain players like Robbie Fowler and one or two players like that but you know we're the same age but back then you know it wasn't an asset how it's looked upon today you know especially for professional football players as well because we wasn't really um and we're still not in, as a whole 
really trained in assets and building building wealth. But you're not yeah. supposed to either, are you? What you're supposed to do is be really good at playing football. And your managers and your advisors are supposed to be advising you on what to do with, with the money that you earn. And I think, unfortunately, that's where a lot of this falls over, doesn't it? Definitely. But the problem is, for me anyway, I think in today's world, you know, with access to the internet, with so much access to learning materials, that individuals need to take responsibility for their own learning. That's, you know, for too long, it's been an excuse that, oh, we just let other people deal with it. We let other people deal with it. But we've been doing that now from the days of Mike Tyson. You know, he lost or his advisors lost him hundreds of millions of pounds. You look at NFL football players, you look at massive, you know, guys much bigger than the Premier League earners and they're still going broke, you know? Why? Because they keep trusting other people to do these, you know, or, or they're taking other people's advice. And in one hand, yes, you know, they're supposed to be the professionals, but one thing that I always said is, I'd never listen to someone else's advice if they haven't already achieved it, you know? So I had financial advisors coming up to me after I'd finished playing, and I'd learnt my lesson by listening to some of these other guys saying, oh, why don't you invest in this? Why don't you invest in that? And I say, first thing, first question I'd ask is, do you own that stock? Or do you, you know, have you invested in that property? Have you got property? And they'd all go, oh no. And I'd be like, well, how can you tell me That's that? That's right, how can I trust you if yeah. you're not even gonna put your own skin in the game? Exactly. So for me, my message definitely, whenever I'm speaking to players that are still playing, any, any sports athletes, they've got to take responsibility for their own, for, for, for learning about this stuff. Because ultimately it's their lifestyle that it's risk. Their financial advisors, their managers, they're going to get paid their percentages anyway, yeah. but yeah. ultimately it's up to, to you and the other players to take control of your own destiny. Yeah. And the thing is, if only just to be able to ask better questions, you know, so just because a lot of players, they'll just go, oh yeah, that's fine. You know, their advisor will say something to them and they'll just go, oh yeah, no problem, there's the money, you know, and I'm like, are you crazy? Like, ask me a question, Tell, ask me why, ask me, you know, make sure that you're completely 100% happy with that scenario, you know, before you just write a check and hand it over, you know? Yeah, they're just so programmed, I guess, to, to trust blindly. And that's been to the detriment of many pro athletes, as you mentioned, Tyson and a number of others. So fast forward to now, you, as you mentioned, you're doing a, a, li a little bit of advice to current players and what else are you up to? Okay, so basically um, my business, has always offered a kind of uh, a mentoring arm as well. So I've always done uh, bought and sold uh, properties for the last sort of like 12 years, full-time uh, developing properties all the way sort of like from one bedroom flats right away up to sort of like million pound houses. Um, and alongside that, I've always offered like a mentoring arm to pr uh, professional players, ex-players, sports athletes, um, just in general of how to get into the market, basically. Because you've walked the walk and now you're talking the talk. So yeah. you actually know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm one of those that actually, you know, I do it every day. I've got a business, I've got an office. I employ people to go out there and do exactly, you know, what I can teach others. So that's a very small part of my business. Um, my main business is obviously property developing, but where the market's become very difficult over the last two years in, in, yeah, <laughs> in, in, in the area that we're operating as well, because as you know, you know, bigger properties at certain price points are, are not um, as lucrative as what they used to be. Uh, my strategy has slightly changed where I'm really now investing for cash flow. 
And where I see a great area is um, hotels or, or redeveloping old B&Bs into really nice boutique style hotels um, that can bring in cash flow on a monthly basis. And you actually want to build a brand around this, don't you? Yeah, it's not so, just about buying a few buildings here and there. This is bigger than that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. This is, we've got the brand, um, you know, we're hoping for sort of like to go UK wide. Um, we're building the investment team as well. So it's going to be, you know, it's an incredible brand once it once it hits. Um, and we're, mat- we're, we're kind of putting together a really cool um, hotel environment alongside a kind of um, a co-working environment as well. So that, a bit like a we work and, and that, that type of model sure and this is so that people can stay and work in one location no matter where they are in the uk yeah that's it and the idea as well is that you know we're going to have many of these spread right away throughout the uk so a bit like your gym model you know where you can go to any gym you can pay one one monthly fee and you go to any gym um very much the same as that you know we're gonna have that environment where no matter where you are there'll be a place within half an hour from you where you can just go instead of sitting in your Starbucks or your Costa on your own, flicking up your laptop, you can be in there, you know, you can connect with other like-minded people. Um, you can stay there all day. You can, you know, visit other places. And on top of you, it's going to be a cool boutique hotel, which you're going to have that opportunity to stay in as well. So it's really, it's working to the, the millennials, people younger than us, Carl. Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. we've got to tap into, uh, tap into what's the going youth, on. Yeah. yeah. And this more transient lifestyle that people have and this flexibility. And also the fact that even though we are becoming less social IRL in real life yeah. or in reels, uh, we are becoming, uh, we do have this need to connect to people. And uh, so it seems like this concept that you're working on really works into that. And so where can people find out more information about that? Okay, so um, the brand is called The Click, uh, The Click Living. Um, And at the moment, we're still developing. Um, We're just in the process of buying our first two hotels. Um, So literally, you can go to uh, The Click. uh, C-L-I-C-K or C-L-I-Q. Yeah. Oh, Q, okay. Q, 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 yeah. Um, clickliving.com mm-hmm. or .co.uk. Sure. And what do you need? Do you need investors for this? Do you need sites? Do you yeah, need at the moment, at the moment, um, sites we've kind of identified already. Certainly investors. Um, you know, this is going to be, like we said, we want to take this right away across the UK. We've got our first two sites already. So we're really looking at um, investors and partners who can bring something to the table. Sure. And you have got a background in hospitality. Yes. Yes, I do. So basically, um, when I finished playing professional football and I built up this uh, lucrative um, property development um, or property portfolio, I, I also bought sort of like some restaurants and bars. Um, so I added them to my portfolio. Is that just so, because you wanted to eat out at them and party at them? Uh, this is the honest <laughs> truth, okay? I decided that I was going to buy my own nightclub because one day I was out in central London and I just... You know, we used to party in central London every weekend. That was the one thing that Premier League or football football lifestyle, you know, you go out, especially being in London, you connect with a lot of the old, a uh, lot of the London players and stuff from all, all the other clubs. And we'd be outside these nightclubs, you know, arguing with the doorman that we're on the guest list. Yeah, we're definitely on the guest list, you know. And I just thought to myself, you know what? One day I'm just going to buy either this place yeah. or you know what like Dorman, i could buy this place. exactly <laughs> and that was it it was it sounds arrogant and I, it was arrogant at the time but i just again people ask me what pushes you carl and it's always the next like i like can i achieve that you know what's what is it that i can do what makes that shocks people 
that's what really pushes me. And, um, you know, the hotels, that's why I thought, you know what, that, you know, I need something to shock myself and shock other people um, to keep pushing me. Because otherwise I'll just go and sit on a beach somewhere, you know, and life would be boring. Um, so I have to keep challenging myself all the time. And at that moment in time, you know, I built this portfolio. It was easy. I could literally do it in my sleep. And then all of a sudden I thought, yeah, but what if you own restaurants and the coolest people in London are coming to your restaurant? And what if this queue was outside your your nightclub? So that's exactly what I've done. And I built what I would say for that period of time was the coolest bar stroke nightclub in London. I mean, I talk to people now and they say, Carl, I've got the best memories ever of coming out to London, being in your place. It was amazing. We had queues going around the corner on a Saturday night. We had half the Premier League in there every Saturday. Um, you know, it was just a fantastic atmosphere. So, yes, I have experience in that side of things. Um, and we're going to bring that cool environment as well into this brand as well. And do you think your children will follow you into either football or into the property business? Um, so both my boys play football. Um, my youngest one is at AFC Wimbledon. He's... Uh, this year actually he's in that division this year where I was when I got released from Chelsea oh, um, oh, <laughs> so he's fighting for his uh, he's fighting for his scholarship his, his, his YTS um, but he loves it you know and, and either way he's, he's, he's a good player so I'm sure he'll be successful in, in what it is he wants to do my older boy um, he's already been through that so he got signed by Southend and then funny enough he'd done a whole year up in Southend moved away from home at 16 and then decided that actually you know what this isn't for him you know, he, he kind of made a decision that, um, like I made at 30, that he made it at 17. He, that, and, and for me, I, I really um, commend him because at that time, it's like everyone's looking at him like, wow, this is a dream. You've got the opportunity to be a professional football player. And he actually turned around and said, you know what, I've, I've got more to, my, more to me. I want to create, I want to do other things, not just play professional football. So he made the decision that he wanted to, uh, to walk away and go back to college and start studying other things. Wow, that's really, really, a, oh, you must be so proud of them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I'm, very, I'm very proud of them individually. You know, they've, they've got their own mind. They're getting to that age now where all I can do is advise and, you know, they, they, they make their own decisions. And property gives you the flexibility, and this is what I find, to actually be a dad. And I know, having talked to professional footballers before, they said that they were forced to miss the birth of their children. Mm. They were forced to miss Christmas. They were yeah. forced to miss so many things because of football. Yeah. And now you've got this flexibility that you can be the dad and the husband that you want to be all, yeah. while doing something That was else. one of my reasons why I wanted to retire. Because every Christmas, probably uh, from the age of 18, 19, probably up until, um, you know, 20, 27, 28, I spent Christmas Day in a hotel, you know, literally. That's um, lonely, isn't it? Oh, man, you know, you'd be in this hotel room and you'd be thinking, hold on a minute, you know, one year I had a crash on Christmas Day and I'm really lucky that I actually um, survived because I was driving at about 120 miles an hour from my house in Fulham down to Bristol where I was playing um, in, and it was like literally a thunderstorm but I was told that I couldn't spend Christmas Day at home with my family um, and I had never missed Christmas Day, Christmas dinner. This was like with my mum and my brothers. This is when I was quite young. So I, I said, no, I refuse. So I went home, I drove back to Fulham, um, had Christmas lunch. You know, my mum brought it forward or whatever it was till like one, uh, 12 o'clock. We had training at three o'clock. So literally I was doing 120 miles an hour down the motorway to get into training, spun my car out 
and um, you know came off both sides of the barriers and everything. And um, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking this shouldn't have been. I should have just been allowed to have Christmas dinner at home with my family, train in the evening or whatever it be. Funny enough, the hotel we were staying in was 20 minutes from my house. We was actually playing against Reading. Yeah, I think it was Reading the next day. I had to drive past the hotel I was standing to go to Bristol to get on a coach to come back to Reading. And I just thought, you know what, this is ridiculous. You don't need that. Yeah, and, um, and that's why, you know, my kids, were getting, my, my kids were just born, they were quite young. And I just thought, I, I, I want to spend Christmas with them. I want to see them, you know, take them to school in the mornings or pick them up in the afternoons. Um, and that was one of my major decisions to, to retire. Yeah, and now working in property, you have that flexibility. Yeah, but I mean, my kids know me for the last 10, 12 years, or 10 years, 12 years. I've picked them up every day. I've dropped them in every day. I've took them to every football match. You know, I, uh, on, when they're playing rugby on the sidelines, I'm the only dad, or not the only dad there, one but of few, one yeah. of the few, you know, and, and, and that's the sacrifices that, or, or, or that's why I have yeah. I, I done what I've done. And that's important. And you've found your why again, having found your why in football, you've now found your why and you're able to interact with your family like this. Carl, thank you so much for your time today. It really, it, it, it's the third time I've heard your story now and it still brings a tear. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Prolific Not Perfect podcast with me, Nicole Bremner. Please do show us some love, like, comment, share and subscribe all over at NicoleBremner.com. And while you're there, subscribe to our newsletter and keep up to date with our latest news and events. Thank you very much.